Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. You walk through the Beatitudes, you see humility. You see one who is mourning over their sin, one who is meek towards God and others, one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness' sake, who is merciful, who is pure in heart, who is a peacemaker, and one who is persecuted, but even in that persecution, they rejoice in the Lord because they know that that suffering won't last too long and they are able to suffer for Christ. So this is the characteristics that should define our lives, right? This is how we should be walking with the Lord. And what's great is that each one of these builds off of each other. Like Jesus talks about in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the house that's built on a strong foundation. We see that the first point or the first beatitude is that we should humble ourselves before the Lord. And then as Alec talked about last week, as we humble ourselves, we mourn over our sin in light of the holiness of God. And then that mourning, as we'll see this week, should lead us to have a meek and gentle spirit, one towards the will of God, as well as towards others in our lives. And so I, I love the fact that these build off of each other. And I believe that when we're talking about meekness, this characteristic not only relates to God, but largely relates to how we interact with each other. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And this is why I think that Jesus said in the first beatitude, you must be humble. You must humble yourself before the Lord and before others. And then in that humility, mourn over your sin. And then in light of the grace that's been given to you because you've been comforted in your mourning, you now can show great grace to everyone else. So as we did last week, or as we did a, a couple weeks ago, we're going to read all of the Beatitudes. So starting Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, we're going to read through verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, um, if you're already there, follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some next to you, and it will be up on the screens as well. So follow along as we walk through the Beatitudes. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to God and ask him to bless this time and reveal his truth to us this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that enlightens what we see here this morning. And we ask that as we listen to the preaching of your word, that you would work in us a gentle and meek spirit. Show to us what it means to be meek, both to you and to those you've placed around us. Lord, as your vessel this morning, may my words come directly from you. And may you be glorified and honored this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So as we've seen the last two weeks, Jesus has said some kind of countercultural statements, right? He, he said in the beginning, humble yourself. What, like that's his, that's his like coming onto the scene party, right? Humble yourself. What a, what a great phrase to just say to somebody that you've never met before. You need to humble yourself. The second one is that those who mourn will be comforted. And, and that's a, a, a just kind of countercultural view of mourning, especially when you add on that those who mourn will be blessed. And often we don't think in that, in that realm. And then he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is the third beatitude that we see. And right off the bat, we see that there is some tension here, that the meek would inherit the earth, because that's not what we're taught today. We're not taught that meekness and gentleness is a characteristic that we should strive after. And so we see that it's countercultural to us. We see that it would have been countercultural to those living in Jerusalem at that time. And so that's what I want to unpack this morning or unpack this morning. Now, I want to take something from the old Puritan Thomas Watson, and this is going to be kind of my main point and where everything else is going to flow. But that point is this. Meek people are blessed people. So meek people are blessed people. And I want to show you why this is the case by answering three questions. Who are the meek? Why are they blessed? And how will they inherit the earth? Or how do they inherit the earth? So just one more time. Who are the meek? Why are they blessed? And how do they inherit the earth? So to answer this first question, who are the meek? We need to answer the question, what does meek look like? Or how do we define meek. Now, just a quick search throughout this week. I've noticed in conversations as well as just looking at people's statements online, even looking through the dictionary and the thesaurus, I want to read to you some of the things that we see as or how the world defines meek. So a, one of the CrossFit people that I follow, she had this to say about being meek. Um, I've been called many things, but meek has never been one and will never be one. Um, Dr. James Watson, who, along with his uh, co-partner, Francis Crick, who discovered the double helix formation of DNA, so a really smart guy, right? He won a Nobel Peace Prize in 1962, and he said this, The two stupidest sentences in the English language are, Love thy enemy, and the meek shall inherit the earth. He went on to say that he credits his success to a lack of meekness. His persistence in research and self-promotion is what got him where he was. I also read an interview this week where a man actually went around his neighborhood trying to see what people thought or defined meek as. And one of the answers that stood out to me, somebody said, meek means weak. Even looking up some of the listed synonyms in our thesaurus, we see that meek is synonymous with docile, timid, gentle, unassuming. This one was funny. Nothing. I, I don't... I don't, I don't know how that works, but spiritless, weak need, and wishy-washy. And as we can see from even our own English language out of these synonyms, there's only one that would actually have a good description, and that would be gentle. But the rest of them have a negative characteristic about them. See, in the eyes of the world, meekness is not the way to success. Meekness is definitely not the way to inherit the earth, and yet Jesus says, this is how you will inherit the earth, and this is why you're blessed. 
So when we look at meekness and we look at the believer in Christ, what we should be striving after, I want to take again from Charles Spurgeon and Thomas Watson that looks at how a believer is meek. And there's twofold characteristics when it comes to the meek believer. And that first one is that they are meek towards God. And then the second one is that they are meek towards man. And so we're going to kind of unpack that this morning. So when we look at the first characteristic of being meek, we see that the believer is meek towards God. We see that he is submissive to God's will and that he is flexible to God's word. Now I want to sit in that for a minute because we don't often think that being meek towards God consists of those two things. But being meek looks like being submissive to the, to the Lord, his will for your life, and then being submissive to and flexible to his word. And the best place that we're going to see this is actually the parallel of Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 in the Old Testament. And that's going to be in Psalm 37. So if you have your Bibles, flip over to that passage. Most scholars believe that Jesus is actually quoting 37, verse 11, when he talks about the meek inheriting the earth. So Psalm 37, starting in verse 5, all the way to verse 11, we see David write this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from evil, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers, evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the earth. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. And this is where we see the parallel. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. You see, we get a picture here from David's writings in Psalm 37, what it looks like to be a meek individual who will inherit the land. Or as the Greek and Hebrew would put, land and earth are synonymous with each other. And so what I want to take a look at here is how David describes a meek individual, a meek man or a meek woman. The first thing that we see in verse 5 is that they trust in the Lord. They commit to his will. The meek man and the meek woman understand and have confidence in God's will for their lives. From their finances to their health to their family to their jobs, whatever it may be, they are committed to the will of God. Spurgeon goes on to say, a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses, but in the meek and quiet spirit which thanks God for whatever he pleases to give. The next thing that we see is they commit their way to the Lord. They commit their lives to his will. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him so that he shall direct your path. Proverbs 16, 9 tells us, The heart of a man plans his steps, but the Lord determines his path. The meek trust and commit all that they have to the Lord, understanding that they are insufficient to bear the weight and complexities of this life. And so they give it to the Lord knowing that he is good, knowing that he is faithful, knowing that he will sustain and guide them through whatever season they're in. 
The third thing that we see is that the meek wait on the Lord and they are quiet before him. Now, I feel like this is the hardest thing for me, to be quiet and to wait. Does anybody like to be quiet and wait? Nobody? Okay, good. I'm not the only one. It is hard to be quiet and to wait, especially when something feels out of control. Especially when it feels like you just need to do something more to get what you're looking for. But the meek are quiet before the Lord. They wait patiently for God to work in their lives. And this is not to say that they become lazy. This is not a pass to go and sit down and watch Netflix and just chill for the rest of the time before God acts. But the people who wait on the Lord are fervent in prayer. They're devoted to his word and they become free of the frenzy of feeling like their life is controlling them. They have a steady and calm peace about them because they know that God is omnipotent and sovereign and he knows and cares for his children. And the fourth thing that we see in Psalm 37 is that the meek don't fret over evil that's happening. Now, a good picture of this, and it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture, is Psalm 73. If you're not familiar with Psalm 73, ask if the writer begins the passage by saying, I almost lost my way. I almost lost my way because I was looking at the evil and how those people are being put first, how they're receiving goods, how they never seem to stumble, and yet in my integrity, I've always trusted the Lord, and here I am. And now while Asaph is is commenting and seeing and trying to think upon why the wicked are the way they are, he comes to himself. And the psalm tells us that when he tries to understand this and then goes to the house of God to worship, he finally realizes that all his worrying and fretting is in vain. And he closes the psalm by saying this, and this gives us a beautiful picture of how we should respond to the wicked who seem to always be getting the next step or becoming rich or or the ones that are being put first. This is what he says. He says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. In the end, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to those who are against you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I will tell of all your works. So he comes to himself and realizes that all of his thoughts about the evil and those who seem to succeed by being treacherous or scheme against others is in vain and he realizes that the only thing that he can do is trust in the Lord to be patient with him knowing that the future brings faithfulness to those who put their trust in the Lord this is the meek man who does not fret over the evil that's happening right now now I'm not saying that we shouldn't be against it I'm not saying that we shouldn't speak out against evil in this world. Ephesians 5 tells us to. 
tells us as believers that we should shine light in dark places. But when we are so focused on others and how they are prospering in comparison to our integrity, Asif shows us that that's just vanity. That is not meekness. So seeing this picture of a meek man, seeing this picture of a meek woman, here's what I want to ask you this morning. Does this describe you? How well in your life are you submitting to the will of God? Are you trusting in him in everything, even with the deepest, darkest secrets of your life? Do you become vulnerable in community that God has placed around you, knowing that he has placed those people there to help grow you in the likeness of his son? Are you flexible to his word? Are you conforming your mind to the word of God, letting it transform you from the inside out? Are you fighting not with the instructions of his word, but with your own heart as the word of God pierces your idols like a, like a skillful surgeon coming in, cutting your idols from your hands? And are you quiet before him, knowing that he is sovereign, knowing that he is omnipotent and he loves his children? And he will provide for our needs, all that we need, not just some, but all that we need. Does this describe you this morning? You see, the other fold of being meek as a believer includes the meekness towards men or the meekness towards those that God has placed around us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that the meek man does not fight for his own rights. He does not insist upon personal vindication, does not always have to correct others. He does not return insult for insult, and he doesn't use force and intimidation to get his way. The meek towards others, the meekness that we have towards others comes from a right view of ourselves before the Lord. Right, It goes back to the humility before God, the, the poor in spirit. And then it follows along understanding our mourning of our own sin and the comfort we've received in Christ. And we don't worry about what others say because we know that we deserve worse. And instead, we're amazed that God treats us so well and that men are as kind as they are to us. This is the meek man before others. I'm going to give you a, a, a description of what a meek man looks like, kind of some practical applications that might help us out. But the Bible says that a meek man is patient with others. He's bearing one another's burdens. He's forgiving 70 times 7. He's able to overlook offenses. And he's able to forgive the meek man is gentle in spirit towards others, even when provoked, even when slandered against. He has a gentle spirit. He doesn't speak harshly about others or situations that might frustrate him. And he's someone that you and I can run to, to be able to share our problems because we know that they are going to give a gentle response a gentle and loving response to what we're walking through. As I said earlier, the meek man is bold in the face of evil. He follows Ephesians 5 and shines the light of the gospel in dark places. 
And the meek man is open and approachable. He's able to listen. He's able to listen without shouting down another's opinion, but he's willing to listen to somebody else's opinion and have the meekness and gentleness to maybe think that he could be wrong. And that's a lot different than how we respond today, right? That's a lot different than how we see if somebody has a differing opinion than us, how we have conversations often ends in shouting matches because nobody is willing to be reasonable that their convictions or their truth may be wrong. But the meek man is reasonable and open, willing to listen to somebody else's opinion, understanding that they may be wrong and that their lives need to hear what is being said to them. Finally, the meek man is content. He's content in his relationships. He's content with the people that God has placed around them. He has a calming spirit because he is content in the Lord and where he's at. So I read this story this week that I feel like does illustrate this gentleness towards others that that we're talking about here. It's about a Scottish archbishop named Leighton who lived in a small house in Scotland and he had, a, he had a male servant named John who was very forgetful. And John one day woke up before his master and decided to go fishing for that day. And what he did is he locked his master in his house forgetting that he was there. So John fished until late evening and forgetting about his master, he comes home and he's approached by his master as he gets there. The archbishop says this, John, if you, if you were to go out for a day's fishing another time, kindly leave me the key. What a response. What a response. How do you think you would have responded in that situation? How do you respond in situations that are similar, that build tension, that frustrate you, that, that somebody else basically did to you. It wasn't the archbishop's fault that he was locked in the house. It was somebody else's. And to dig a little deeper, how do you act when you have the power to control situations or other people? What is your attitude towards those who disagree with you? How well do you control your emotions? Or do they control you? How do you handle rejection? Or on the flip side, how do you handle praise? All of this is a part of the meek man or the meek woman. And how we respond reveals what we believe about the gentleness that God calls us to as believers in Christ. And this is the twofold character of the meek believer. One who trusts in the Lord, who submits to his will believing that he will act, waiting on him, who's patient, gentle, forgiving, open, and reasonable, and content. So this is the meek man. This is what we should, should be striving after by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the next question I want to answer this morning is why are the meek blessed? One of the pastors I was reading this week says that meekness is a self-control which manifests itself in a gentle spirit based on the unshakable confidence in the Lord. That's a blessing in itself, right? Being able to be unshakable in different seasons. Now what's interesting about the term meek is that originally in the Greek it was a virtue. 
It wasn't something looked down upon. Aristotle actually said that it is the middle ground between two extremes. And he also said that it meant getting angry at the right time in the right way for the right reason, being able to control that excessive anger. The Greeks went on to use the word meek as a description for mild words, soothing medicine, refreshing wind, and a horse that has been tamed. Now, when you think of those four examples, there's a phrase that should come to mind, and it's power under control. When you have, when you have a horse that has not been domesticated or not been tamed, it is a powerful, powerful being, right? But when you tame it, when you domesticate it, it doesn't make it weak. It just means that that power is now controlled. What's interesting, and I love how the Lord did this in my life this week. Um, so I was over at Tim and Alyssa's house uh, this past Friday, and I was able to bring my dog Aslan over. And if you guys don't know who Aslan is, he's not the lion from Narnia, although he is named after him. He's a pit bull. He's 80 pounds, all muscle, big goofy dog. He kind of gets in his own way a lot of times. But I bring him over, and Tim and Alyssa have this puppy who's about, what, 30 pounds? Yeah. So she's got fi- he's got 50 pounds more of muscle than her. And when they started to play, they started wrestling. And one time, Saffron got under his neck and kind of started to wrestle with him. And as she ran away, he pawed at her and basically turned her in 180 right back in his face. They continued to wrestle. They loved it, and they kept playing the rest of the night, so much so that he is still tired today. This is two days ago. Still laying on the couch like a lazy bum, but it is what it is. He's an old man now. But they're playing, right? And I'm watching them, and I'm thinking about this sermon. I'm thinking power under control. That's, that's what Aslan is doing is he is able to tear apart Saffron if he wanted to. He's got 50 pounds of muscle on her, and if he wanted to dominate her, he could. But here he is playing with a small puppy that is very much weaker than he is controlling his power and even allowing her to win at times. And that's the example that I see when it comes to gentleness and meekness that we're to have is power under control. And as Thomas Watson would say, it is a supernatural power given to us by the Holy Spirit. And if you don't think that it is actually a supernatural power, think about the times that maybe you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off when you're rushing to work. What's that anxiety that you might feel, right? the power to not yell at them and and flip them off. Maybe sometimes we do, but in those moments where we don't, that's that supernatural power of gentleness that the Holy Spirit has given to us. Or what about when your kid is crying at 2 a.m. and you can't fathom why they're still awake and you're frustrated and you still have the mindset that I love this child. That's that supernatural power. That's what meekness is, that gentleness, that power under control. And it's so important for us as believers in Christ to tap into this. Listen to what the New Testament has to say on this important virtue that we've been given. Galatians 5, and 23 describe meekness as one of the fruits of the Spirit. 1 Timothy describes an elder, one who leads the church, as self-controlled, not easily angered, but he's meek. Colossians 3 shows us that one of the garments we are to put on as new creations is meekness. 
And James 1 tells us the opposite of anger, the opposite of malice, is in fact gentleness in spirit or meekness. You see, meekness while being looked down on this world's perspective or in this world's perspective is a characteristic that we are supposed to live out as believers in Christ. I want to give you two examples and the actual only two examples in scripture of meekness through people, through characters. You guys want to take a guess on who who the only two people have ever been described in scripture as meek are? One, yeah, Jesus. Anybody else? Would be Moses. It's very interesting, right? Moses, the guy who killed an Egyptian before he ran off. Moses, who, who didn't, didn't want to live as a Pharaoh's son, was meek. Feels like when you read through Exodus, he might even had some fits of anger towards the Israelites in the desert. But Numbers 12.3 shows us this. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Now for those of you who understand or know their Bible, Moses wrote the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. Numbers is included. So this is basically the first humble brag, right? He's writing about himself. Moses was the humblest man or the meekest man ever. Now, it, it is said that Joshua, the leader after Moses, came in and, and put this sentence in. Some scholars believe it was Joshua. Some believe it's Moses. Either way, God made this verse for us to see the meekness in which Moses lived. Now, I want to give you the context of why this verse is important to us. You see, Numbers 12 tells us that Moses married a Cushite woman, which means that she was from African descent. In layman's terms, she was black. She was not a Jew. Now, Moses marrying someone out of the Jewish culture at that time wasn't wrong. It wasn't against the Lord. And as we'll see, God doesn't condemn it, but approves it, stands up for it. But Moses's brother Aaron and his sister-in-law Miriam had an issue with this marriage. And scripture is clear. A lot of people like to gloss over this, but I'm not going to. The reason they were upset with this marriage is because he married a black woman. And as we talked about before, God doesn't condemn this marriage. In fact, he doesn't condemn marriages across ethnic lines for even us. What he cares about is the heart of the people that we are marrying as believers. The unequally yoked has nothing to do with race, but everything to do with the heart of that person you are pursuing. And yet we have Aaron and Miriam murmuring, complaining about Moses marrying a black woman. And verse 1 tells us that God heard their comments. He heard their complaining and he calls them out. He brings them before him. So he has Aaron, he's got Miriam, and he's got Abraham. And listen to what he says in verse 6 of chapter 12. God said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. But here's the contrast that God gives. This is not so with my servant Moses. He is a faithful man in my house. And with him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. So why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. That's some, that's some serious, serious stuff 
that God would throw upon Aaron and Miriam. He's basically saying, you're going against my appointed one. This is my guy, the one I trust and love to lead my people. And you're complaining about his decisions. He goes on to even say, I speak to Moses face to face. So don't you think if I had a problem with this marriage, I would tell him? Who are you to call out my servant? This is the original. You done messed up, A.A. Ron. Right? It's the original. God's like, you done messed up. But God goes as far to show how much they messed up by giving Miriam a disease. He gives Miriam the disease of leprosy. We see that in verses 9 through 12. And if you don't know the disease of leprosy, it literally turns your skin white, pale. So the ironic thing is that Aaron and Miriam are complaining that Moses married a dark woman and that he should have married a lighter-skinned woman like them. And so God goes, you want to have light skin? I'm going to make you the lightest-skinned person now. And after all of this, Aaron finally repents. He realizes that his heart is in the wrong place. He pleads to Moses to pray to God to heal his wife. And the first words that we see in Numbers chapter 12 from Moses is this, Lord, heal her. Through all of that, Moses is quiet. And this is why I bring this story up today. And this is why Moses is depicted as a meek man, especially in this context, because in the midst of all this conflict, in the midst of all the condemnation that he's receiving, the opposition that he's receiving from his own family, he doesn't open his mouth. He follows the pattern of Psalm 37. He doesn't fret over the evil words. He waits patiently and trusts the Lord to vindicate him. This is why Moses is a meek man. Now, let me ask you this. Have you, have you been there before? I have. And it is not a fun place to be. When people are hurling insults at you and your character and your choices, it's easy to want to lash out. It's easy to want to defend yourself. But meekness is the power to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back. And that's what we see in Moses. And we also see it in the greatest example of meekness that we have in Scripture in Jesus. Jesus shows us the power to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back and going to the cross and taking the shame and the guilt and the opposition of the people in the world. And he takes it humbly. He demonstrates the greatest power control that we have ever seen, the greatest example of meekness that we've ever seen. And we see this in Isaiah 53. It says, Jesus was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is a description of Jesus. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the greatest example of meekness. And Jesus emptied himself, humbled himself, and died on a cross so that we would be able to receive that meekness when we trust in him as Savior. 
And not only that, not only do we receive his meekness, we receive his righteousness that's imputed to us as sons and daughters of God. As I said earlier, this, this meekness is a supernatural grace given to us, imputed to us by Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection when we trust in him. But it's a supernatural power that is produced within us by the Holy Spirit when we trust and submit to the Lord and his will. You see, meekness comes because we have surrendered our lives to the Lord. And we have said that you are free to demonstrate your power in me. So I'm going to close by answering the question here. How do they inherit the earth? How do the meek inherit the earth? When it seems like this kind of gentle living doesn't help you succeed at all. When it doesn't help you get ahead of anyone. Hear the promises from the word of God as believers in Christ this morning. When we put our hope in him and we seek to live out meek lives. Let this promise give you hope and strength to live in a sinful world with meekness. Because our natural bent is to defend ourselves. It's not to wait on the Lord. It's to try to control and not trust in him. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3, let no one boast of men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. Listen, all is yours, and you're in Christ, and Christ is God's. We have the promise that we are in Christ when we have placed our hope and trust in him. All that is in Christ is ours, because he holds all things. He sustains all things. And that includes the world. We have this promise here that being in Christ includes the world and that we will inherit it because we are in him. But Paul goes on to say this in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the promise that we have in Christ, is that we will receive all things in him. And as Roman 8 continues, Paul goes to say that nothing will separate us from that promise. And that's the hope that we have, the anchor for our souls as we live in a sinful world pursuing meekness. And finally, and Aaron, you can come up and strum a little bit if you want to. But John in Revelation tells us that one day all the sin and shame and hurt and pain of this world will be gone. The pain of days like today where we celebrate fathers, but we also know that there are some of us who have fathers that haven't reflected the God of the universe, that haven't lived out the life that he is supposed to in reflecting God the Father. But John gives us this promise that when Christ returns, there will be no more pain, no more shame, no more cancer, no more abuse, no more broken homes, no more sin because Jesus has returned 
and new Jerusalem has been brought to earth. And we will one day be in glory for eternity with the Lord. As the hymn says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining like the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. This is the promise of the future new Jerusalem that will come when Christ returns, will be our new home, where we'll be free of anxiety, free of sin and shame. And this is why we have hope. This is why we are blessed when we are meek and gentle here on earth. Because one day we shall inherit this promise, this new Jerusalem. And as we live here on earth, God gives us the promise that no good thing will he withhold as we wait for his return here. So guys, this morning, my prayer is that you and I would be marked by meekness marked by gentleness of spirit, marked by a submission to the will of God and to his word, trusting him, committing our lives to him, waiting on him in seasons where it's hard to wait and to be patient. And may this meekness bring glory to God that those around us would see and long for that same hope. This is my prayer for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, the greatest example of meekness that we've ever seen, who humbly submitted to your will, leaving the glory of heaven, putting on flesh, humbling himself as a servant, and dying a death, death on the cross, so that those who have placed their trust in him can have hope, can have their lives restored, the sin forgiven. And Lord, in that truth, Lord, may we live, may we trust, may we commit to you knowing, Lord, that in this short period of time, as we walk through this sinful world, we can have a meek spirit because Christ has imputed that to us that supernatural grace of being gentle and meek to others. And Lord, may this mark our lives in frustrations, in tension, in praise, when we're being slandered or when we're spoken about and people are throwing darts at our character, Lord, may we be gentle in our response. May we be meek Lord, I pray that our lives would bring glory to your name and that people would see our meekness and long for the hope that we have. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from The District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at